ideas and new technology are causing seismic shifts in the media industry. Where are we headed? What does it mean? Keep listening. Media strategist Gabriella Mirabelli talks with the brightest minds in entertainment and business. Meet the innovators, the risk takers, and the disruptors on the front lines of change from Hollywood, Wall Street, Silicon Valley, and beyond. The future is coming to a screen near you. Are you ready? This is the Up Next podcast with Gabriella Mirabelli. Welcome to Up Next. I'm your host, Gabriella Mirabelli. My guest today is Tyler Holden. She's a partner at Lippincott, a leading global brand and innovation consultancy. She co-leads the firm's marketing strategy capability. With a decade of experience across consulting, government, and media, her core passion is understanding and influencing consumer behavior. Tyler, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Gabriella. Looking forward to it. In an earlier interview on this podcast, I spoke with Brian Hartzer, the author of The Leadership Star, about how leaders can build engagement with their staff. But we really didn't discuss why building engagement is a goal leaders should strive for or how this work might benefit a company's bottom line, which is why it was perfect timing when I read the white paper on the importance and value of employee activation that you and two of your fellow partners at Lippincott recently released. The white paper is grounded in the study of what you refer to as go-to brands. Can you explain what a go to brand is? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. So, Gabriella, at Lippincott, we've been in the business of building brands for over 75 years. And go to brands has really become our framework to understand what makes a brand meaningful to consumers in their, in their lives. And our fundamental belief is that the brands that thrive and withstand changes in the market, the ones that continue to create value for customers are the ones that create meaning in people's lives. And that's what we're referring to when we say a go-to brand. It's the meaning in the mind of the consumer. That's exactly right. Ultimately, go-to brands is a way in which we can quantify consumer value and the relationship that a consumer has. Recognizing the number of brands today is higher than ever before. We are running out of names for brands so much so that we have to create them for new words that, that don't even exist yet today. Um, how do you create meaning? Go-to brands is our framework for doing that. Can a small brand be a go-to brand? It can. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what our our approach allows flexibility around what really matters to consumers. So a, a brand may be go-to for you. That is different that's, than what's go-to for me. Ultimately, the two underpinning dimensions of that are around connection, mm-hmm. being how much a customer loves a brand. Uh, that intrinsic sense of no matter what that brand is there for me, I love what they do and what they deliver mm-hmm. and progress being how a brand helps you to achieve something you otherwise couldn't before. When I think of progress, an organization like Uber in the, the 2010s comes to mind, right? Fundamentally enabling you to do something different than what you could have previously done. Connection, mm-hmm. a Southwest, that iconic heart the sense that pilots are touching the heart before they go in to actually engage um, and fly fly a plane, you know, mm-hmm. creates that unique connection and, and bond that that uh, translates to the end customer. Would you say that connection and progress are equally important? It's a great question. They're equally important in the sense that both are what truly drive revenue growth. What we okay. found in our research is that go-to brands have 5x the revenue growth as compared to transactional brand. So for a brand to really be go-to, that connection can't be built on a, in a vacuum. Mm. It has to be built on top of a strong product and service fundamentals that are serving the real customer needs and constantly advancing. Mm. Um, and over time, you know, 
a brand that drives progress without connection is going to lack loyalty. Meaning, you know, if I'm using a brand because of the progress that it helps me create, but I don't love the brand, over time, I can easily choose another brand that offers a similar product, but with a better experience or a personal connection. How much does price point relate to this? I'm thinking of sort of utility brands, which sponge I'm going to buy. It's a sponge. Are there, is there a class of, of product that is, this doesn't make a difference? No, but the calculation I think can shift, right? So okay. we have found that go-to brands span across categories, right? And across uh, consumer goods, across finance, across retail and the like. Mm-hmm. Um, the value ratio in terms of what does that brand actually enable for you may differ. Okay. But in terms of the actual benefits and the the brand love that it can create, that ideally is a consumer need. That's a human need, not an industry need. Oh, great. Great. You know, there's a lot of talk today about putting the customer at the center of your work, but you argue in your paper that if you're only looking at the customer, you're doing it wrong. And you actually wrote that. And I was like, wow, that is such a contrarian thing to say. So what does it mean? We were intentional in putting that on the page. I figured you must have been. Exactly. (laughs) Right. At at its simplest level, right? Everyone agrees that customer centricity matters. So the short answer to your question, Gabriella, is Yes, we agree. Customer centricity is going to be incredibly important. It is critical today. It will be critical tomorrow. Mm -hmm. The thing that I think we challenge in the paper is the how. How are you going to be delivering that customer centricity Mm -hmm. and recognizing that your employees are a critical audience for you to Mm -hmm. be able to deliver that to your employees and to your end customer? And ultimately, you know, go-to brands is a customer-facing and consumer delivered framework. But underpinning that is a whole bunch of people and services and technology and processes that need to work from the inside out. You need to be making sure that your organization is built through engaged, motivated employees who can deliver that end promise and that brand to the ultimate customer and feel that they're a critical piece of of that delivery. So how should a company be balancing how they look at consumers and how they look at employees? Is it the same or is it that it's a process from one to the next? So our our point of view on that is that it needs to start from the inside and then morph outwards. A brand can absolutely deliver something to an end consumer. um, And that is a fundamental piece of the employee value proposition is that belief that you're going to start with something compelling. Mm-hmm. And, and push that out into the world. Mm-hmm. But doing so simply to the, the end consumer and missing the employees creates a fundamental challenge in what you're going to be able to deliver and how well you'll be able to deliver it. I think of any time that I've gotten on the phone with a customer service rep as the most obvious example of this, this challenge, right? Right, right. You go, you think of maybe Nordstrom, right? They have world-class customer experience and customer service. And that mm-hmm. all links back to how do they ultimately engage with their employees and the place, the fact that they've been ranked as one of the top 100 places to work for 21 years. Mm-hmm. Um, they're able to imp- empower their employees to make the right decisions at the right time. People who are there can be empowered to make uh, decisions on behalf of the, the brand and actually understand what the brand is supposed to deliver to the end customer and are better equipped to do so. So many thoughts after hearing that. One is customer service when there isn't a human. The move to digital platforms has made it sometimes a bit of a 
a journey. Like, where's the human? How do I find a human to talk to? That always really does color how I feel about a brand. The other question I had is I see how it works in service industries. I see how it works where you do have the opportunity for that customer touch. But if I'm a manufacturing company, is this, is this true across all of my employees? Let's say I work for a consumer packaged goods, Heinz. I can see how some areas, you know, I'm going to need to motivate the employees, but if I'm the bottling factory, do I need to engage those employees too? Is it a, a uniform I need to do it? When we think about how you engage, it's going to matter equally across different, different industries. And we actually test the relative impact of, of connection and progress and how well different industries are delivering on this. Hmm. Unsurprisingly, Industries like travel or hospitality, where the immediate payoff, that return on being able to see, uh, you know, uh, a customer benefit from the work that you're doing Mm. is incredibly high on that metric. When you think about retail, where there have been greater industry challenges, more headwinds, especially considering COVID, grocery industry and the like, that there are many more uh, challenges in terms of how can you actually deliver that in a meaningful way. Mm. Um, All in though, at the end of the day, Everyone needs to be working towards that same goal. And it's not because of simply, you know, making sure that customer feels it, but also around the fact that employees who are engaged, who are motivated, who feel that sense of connection and progress and enablement to their organization are Mm. better equipped to stay. They're over 27% more likely to, to, to stay at their organization and also willing to go the extra mile. Um, They're, 28% 28% more willing to go above and beyond in delivering their job. So it's hmm. not fundamentally, you know, a nice to have, um, let's be a good brand and a good corporate citizen. This is also around how do I drive my business forward as efficiently and effectively as possible and make sure that all parts of the organization are working towards ultimately the C-suite's goals. Right. So we discussed connection progress from the customer perspective and that folded into being a go-to brand. What do those things look like when we apply the employee lens? So we started this research by thinking about the customer lens and have over 50,000 data points to better understand what does it mean to be a go-to brand from a customer-facing perspective. That's what led us to connection and progress. It's been applied in over six countries and, and has been the foundation for what we're calling brand aperture as the way to measure what builds and sustains go-to brands. Mm. Employees are different, right? And if we think about what makes employees different, when you're thinking about a consumer perspective, ultimately it's all around being an audience for the brand. I do not ask uh, a customer to deliver something back to me that creates a, a rotational effect between how they're actually going to engage with our brand and then ultimately long-term um, advance the brand as a deliverer of it. Mm-hmm. Employees have to be both an, an audience of the brand, meaning they still need connection and progress in a slightly different way in that you need to love your organization uh, as connection. And in terms of progress, the organization needs to be able to help you to achieve things that you could never otherwise do personally or professionally. Mm. But in addition to being strong on connection and strong on progress, there's a whole different element around enablement. Meaning, can my employees actually deliver the brand promise? Uh, and do they understand? Do, are they empowered with the right tools and techniques to, to push the brand forward and deliver that to the end customer? Hmm. Okay. So what does that look like? I mean, it sounds like micromanagers might not thrive in this kind of environment. 
I mean, what is, what are the sort of red flags that you might need to examine in yourself and your own organization? What are the things you need to take out and what are the things you need to put in? There's a few different ways to look at that, right? Underneath connection, we ran some comprehensive driver analyses to better understand what creates connection, what creates progress, what mm. creates enablement. Mm. And at the end of the day with connection, you're right. Micromanaging isn't going to be the way in which you can scale an organization and create a go-to brand from the inside out. Mm. Some of this needs to be built from the bottom up and and be codified at all levels of the organization to, to make it successful. Within connection, right? The mm. two key pillars here are around, does the organization inspire me? And does mm. it appreciate me? So to your point, micromanaging may not be the best way to, to create a sense of appreciation or inspiration. Right. Under progress, we have some similar vectors that are coming to, to, to bear. One is around, does it make me proud to be an employee here? Are mm. friends or family impressed when I talk about it? Does it make me feel like I am a part of something bigger than myself? And then the second is around, does the organization bring out my best? personally right. and professionally. Um, you know, so much of the conversation today around employee engagement is around bringing my whole self to work, mm. making sure I have the flexibility to, to work the way I want. And mm. more so than ever, especially with the great resignation and the like, making sure that employees feel that that progress is being activated is, is a critical dimension. Mm. Under enablement, this is really where the employer gets to benefit, right? If we think about connection and progress being a two-way street. Enablement is around, do I have the tools to deliver the brand? Um, do I have the tactical um, you know, brand activation toolkit to get there? Mm. And do I have support from my manager to deliver on that purpose? And then do I see a bigger picture? Can I connect the dots about what is the, the brand's purpose? Do I feel like the work I'm doing is valuable for delivering against that purpose? Um, right. All in, you know, this is not about micromanagement. It's about equipping your employee base with the tools and techniques and, and knowledge to be not just a doer, but an evangelist of, of the organization. Right. So it also sounds like if I'm in marketing or revenue generation, I might have total operational control over this particular lever of success. It sounds like there's a certain amount that's going to be the purview of HR. How can I, a marketer, influence this, because if it's everybody, you know, it's, it's outside of just marketing, it's the whole business. How can I influence this and where are the junctures where I want to influence it the most? Right. And that's what makes this so hard, right? Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, organizational change can't be owned by one individual. It needs to be applied across the organization right. for too long. And what we, we often see with our client engagements is that Marketing is the realm of external communications, external strategy, and, and experience delivery. And that HR is internally focused, purely, you know, orchestrating what does it mean for my employee base um, to, to deliver. Where we see a lot of potential and where this has worked well in, in some of our client organizations is around unlocking a flywheel between let's get rid of that distinction between internal and external mm. and view our employees as an organization that should be marketed to, that should be our biggest brand evangelist. Mm. Um, and how do we think about them, you know, having our HR team and our marketing team walking the talk or talking the talk and walking the walk around what it means to actually, you know, coordinate and collaborate together. 
Mm. And, and to, to put a finer tooth comb on that, you know, what does it mean to collaborate? This might be around making sure that HR leaders have the systems and the tools of marketers in terms of capturing brand insights, emotionally engaging with colleagues to create positive momentum. You know, marketers might need to be using more of HR skills and building a compelling and rewarding experience for the employee lifecycle, thinking about employees as that, that core audience that needs to be marketed to, and making sure that recruiting and retention and rewards are all reinforcing of the brand value proposition, the brand positioning, and, and ultimately the experience that we hope not just our employees have, but also our, our end customers. Right. One of the challenges, if you're in HR, is you're often viewed, unless you're put in each line of business, you're viewed as an overhead and, you know, having, doing things differently, finding resources can be tricky and convincing them that, gee whiz, you really want to redo how you're doing things. You need to really be able to talk return on investment. So two-part question here, what are the KPIs that we can measure that tell us we've done what we need to do in order to have engaged and motivated our employees? And the second part is how soon can a company expect to see a bottom line result? Because I think we need to be really straight with people in terms of if it's a longer term thing, you know, trust us, they need to give it time. So how would you, what are the KPIs and, and what's the lead time they need to think about? I love where you're going. It's exactly the right question to be asking. You know, as we think about the the research, the goal was to give a really clear scorecard around how am I performing relative to peers and a benchmark around connection, around progress and enablement. What's fascinating as a tangent, and we can go down this route later, I'm sure, is around the distinction between how leaders are thinking about their organization and actually how folks on the front line or in the mid-levels of the organization tend to answer those same questions. When, when you think about KPIs, to me, they're quite simple. If you can convince people to say that I love this organization and believe that with conviction, mm. can you have them say, you know, this organization enables me to achieve things I couldn't otherwise do? Mm-hmm. And that this organization empowers me um, to act in on behalf of its uh, mission and values, you've hit the trifecta. Now, mm-hmm. in terms of the return on investment, it's been quite clear in the data that we've seen that you know across the 1,500 brands that we we measured, if you compare to the median, the brands that are low across all three of those dimensions are 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 facing 12% lower revenue growth than the median. When you compare that to any individual dimension being higher uh, than average, Mm. you see some gains that 10 to 12% if I'm high individually on connection, individually on progress, individually on enablement. Mm. Where this becomes incredibly powerful is doing all of them together. If you can deliver all three of those dimensions to your employee base, that revenue growth, you know, hitting the bottom line here is 25% above the median in the sample. to me, that's where, you know, the organizational challenges are, are one part of the puzzle. And that can be solved if you have the, the resources to go out and do it. This clearly proves there's, there's an advantage in doing so. Right. Well, I, I see how it's, it's correlative, but is it causal? How do we know that people don't, don't feel better about working for a winning organization? 
You know, I, I feel proud telling my my family that I work for XYZ Corp because they're cool. They've got great stats in the marketplace. Everybody thinks it's a great place to work. How do we know that it isn't the other way around? Just being a contrarian. So I think it's clear that it certainly correlates that connection, progress and enablement are correlated with strong revenue growth. And Mm -hmm. I think it's fairly intuitive that the causality doesn't go the other way, that just because the organization is performing well from a revenue perspective doesn't mean that I love my job any more than than my neighbor does or that I'm going to be more passionate about the work I'm doing. And what we have done throughout this work is to think about the value ratio and better understand fundamentally, you know, what does what is the relationship between connection and progress relative to enablement and to a sense of, hey, could I be paid better elsewhere? Um, and what would that that deliver? Mm. Um, and across the board, there are differences in terms of the value ratio in different industries, but there aren't differences in terms of does it ultimately create the connection and, and the mm. brand love that becomes so critical? Hmm. Well, so let's say I accept it as true. And yet, how do I explain highly performing toxic organizations? I mean, there are some pretty famous ones, which we won't name here. We won't name the names, but that are well known to be just awful for employees. And yet consumers really like them. I even like them, but they're, but I also know that they're horrible places to work. Is it just that that toxic place is heading for a a disaster or that they could be so much better? How do you, how do we explain that? Yeah, it's a great question. So you can succeed in spite of being uh, <laughs> a being employer, right? Yeah. The, there's a, a counterpoint to be made for any example, um, but there's always a dimension that you're falling short on. And I think to, to the implicit examples you're pointing to, right. The court of public opinion hasn't been too kind and, and over time, you know, that relationship between public opinion, employee perspective and the customer relationship tends oh. to build upon each other. And now, certainly it's a it's a choice, but it creates an uphill battle when you're building from the inside out. And ultimately, that will be felt you know, through the consumers and through the employee base and, and manifest in terms of, of ultimate performance. Right. I could see it maybe as a sort of an early red flag. If you start having really unhappy employees, that that's something to pay attention to because it could mean that you're heading in the wrong direction. Exactly. To to add there, I think, Gabriella, one point I'd make is just today, you know, if there's anything that's become clear in the past two years, it's that employees have options. Mm. And in the midst of all of the talk around the great resignation, flexible hours, the need for different opportunities and remote work, Mm. the impetus for delivering employee engagement is more critical than ever before and was a key point of why we wanted to do this research now and unpack what is so unique about that employee audience in delivering a go-to brand. And and so, you know, short-term, there are absolutely toxic successes and those are challenges. But I, I think as you get to the longer term perspective, uh, making sure that that all translates into to the employee experience and, and the customer experiences found to happen. 
I also think it's interesting is it probably you have to start thinking about generational differences too. Marketers pay a lot of attention to the interests, behaviors, trends, and desires as they vary generationally. HR, not so much, but maybe they ought to. It's a great point. One of the things that we did through this research too, just extending beyond the white paper, was mm-hmm. take a look at how this varies by generation, by mm-hmm. tenure, by seniority level, and better understanding what are those predictors of you know, success in driving and creating that go-to brand. What did, you notice, did you notice any real big differences? We did. And where this gets really fascinating is unpacking it from a leadership perspective. One of the challenges that we've had in, in talking this through with different organizations is that leaders tend to overestimate the degree of connection and progress and enablement that they're providing for their employees. If you ask the C-suite about how much they love that organization, how much they believe in the mission, the like, and do they feel like they have the right tools to deliver the brand? The answer tends to be yes. But if you ask someone who's more junior in the organization, who's coming on board uh, you know, in the past year, or who just hasn't risen up the ranks, that answer tends to be less positive. There's a value proposition in making sure that this isn't just lost at the top levels of the organization, but cascades to every person, be it on the front line, um, in operations and compliance and in the C-suite to make sure that folks have a consistent story they're working towards. Well, what's interesting is going back to that Brian Hartzer book is he, he in meetings with executives will say, how many of you feel that you care and connect with your employees and everybody's hands go up. And then he says, how many of you feel that your employees would say that you care and connect with them? (laughs) Right. Exactly. But even they themselves, they know they care, but actually if they're honest with themselves, they don't know if their employees feel that care or if their employees experience it the way they they intend them to experience it. So it's an interesting differential, even if they just put that lens of imagine you're somebody else in a different position. My last question before we wrap is employee fatigue, change stresses people, even change that will ultimately make things better. So how do organizations thread the needle? We've just been through a lot of very hard times. People are tired. So any sage advice for them? Absolutely. I'll just jump back to to what you were talking about for a second and and add a little there. Um, And then happy to dig in more specifically. You know, that gap you're you're talking about, Gabriella, between the C-suite and the front lines is so pronounced that when we've had success with this sort of initiative, it's in asking people to, you know, use their all hands meeting and run a quick diagnostic. Let's do it with a hundred people. Let's do it with a thousand people and get a gut check on how are we performing it? Where do we need to flex to make sure that people actually, and all of our employees are feeling the love that the C-suite thinks they should. Uh, There's a fundamental disconnect that's happening, not due to malintention often, but due to a lack of communication, a lack of tools uh, and coming up with solutions that can be really tailored around, is this really targeted to making sure I have the right messaging and the right brand toolkit and activating my employees as assets um, for the brand. You know, do I have the right programs from an HR perspective or is that somewhere where we're feeling tension, especially as the world becomes more remote 
and, uh, and employment options continue to grow. Creating connection. Do I need more altogether days? Do I need more of those opportunities for our employees to, you know, create those, those linkages with one another? There's a quick way to get to the, the heart of that. And it doesn't require guesswork for, for the C-suite to get there. That's so great. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today about this information. It's, it's really important and really interesting. So thank you very much. Thank you, Gabriella. This was fun. We've reached the end of another episode of Up Next. I'd like to close by thanking my production team at Up Next, my friend Rob Naughton, the voice artist who recorded our open, and of course, all of you, the members of our audience. Thank you. I'll be talking to you again next time right here on Up Next. <laughs>